0: got your Bible, go ahead and grab it and turn to 2 Kings chapter 5. We're going to be in God's word today in 2 Kings 5. Um, As you turn there, I want to ask you today uh, for your help. Uh, every Sunday it is helpful if you, man, if, if God says something through me that encourages you, that inspires you, if you'll shout out an amen, if you'll give me some support, you guys have it easy because Miss Teresa's in first service and you can just kind of let her do her thing, uh, and, and she can hold that, she can carry that, uh, but, but that doesn't mean you don't have a part to play in that, so I want to challenge you and encourage you anytime to do that, but I want to ask you especially today, uh, as, as many of you know, uh, my mom passed away yesterday morning. Um, And so this is a new experience for me. Um, I have never preached a sermon where my mom wasn't alive. Um, I've certainly never preached a sermon the the day after my mom passed. Um, The great thing is she is with Jesus. Um, My mom has been dealt with chronic pain my whole life, um, dealt with mental illness. uh, And for the first time since sometime long before I was born, my mom's well. My mom woke up well today. She's in the arms of Jesus. She is fully and completely healed. And uh, one thing that I know with absolute confidence is that she knew Jesus. Uh, and so I look forward to the day that I get to meet my mom well. A person that I've never known. A person I've never been able to experience or be around. Um, that's who she is today. And so I'm very excited for her. I'm obviously mourning and grieved um and we're gonna be gone uh we're leaving tomorrow early to go to North Carolina to be there for the funeral to be there with my dad my sister both of my brothers are are supposed to be coming in and one of my nieces and actually a few of my nieces my uh, cousin hopefully um there's gonna be a lot of family around um so so I'm gonna ask you for your prayers and for your support this week um there's a lot of my family that doesn't know Jesus uh and my dad asked me to do the funeral uh And I don't honestly look forward to doing the funeral, but it's an opportunity I couldn't pass up knowing that there are people there that I love, that I've been praying for for a long time, that I'll have the opportunity to present the gospel to um, and to use mom's situation uh, to point them to Jesus. So if you guys can help me today, this morning, but if you can help me this week, um, I would be so grateful. And so honored. Um, so we're gonna be gone probably for a week. We don't know even exactly what day we're coming home. I know Pastor Braden is gonna be teaching next week. He's gonna be uh, bringing the word of God to you. He's already got a, an angle and a direction on make room that God's given him. Um, and so I know he's gonna speak. Uh, and God's gonna speak through Pastor Braden. So thank you for for giving us that release to be gone. Um, we'll we'll see exactly when we get back um, what all that needs to look like. But um, I'm grateful for you. Uh, I'm grateful for this opportunity, and, and this morning, I need your help, so if you'll help me out, if you'll amen a little louder, uh, a little stronger, because uh, I'm going to be probably a little weaker, uh, a little rawer than I've ever been on Sunday morning, um, and I'm going to do my best to not ugly cry my way through this. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to do my best to not do that to y'all, because uh, I know that's no fun to look at, and I don't want this to be a miserable experience for everybody else, uh, but uh I got a word from God for you today. Um, I'm excited to get into God's word. We're we'll be in 2 Kings chapter 5. Hopefully you read this this week. Um, hopefully it's encouraged you. I believe it was Friday. It was in our reading plan. Uh, it says this. It says, now Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram. Uh, this place Aram is probably not something you're super familiar with. This is the modern-day city of Damascus. Uh, this is the, the modern-day Syrians. Uh, and so this was a neighbor of Israel to the north, one of their biggest rivals in this season and this era. Uh, and so this is, the, this is the general. This is the commander of this rival army, this army that was a, a heathen army, a pagan army. Um, it says, he was a great man in the sight of his master, in the sight of his king, and highly regarded because through him the Lord had given victory Isn't it amazing that sometimes God even uses ungodly people to do godly things? Isn't it amazing how God blesses us even when our heart isn't always right? Even when we're not always doing everything the way he would want us to. Sometimes God just blesses us anyway. What an amazing grace that our God has for us. It says he was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. Now, when it says leprosy in the Bible, it's not always exactly the modern disease of leprosy. You'll probably notice a footnote in most modern translations that will say something like any of a number of skin diseases. Uh, So if you had a skin disease in that day and age, uh, many times they they associated it with leprosy. Uh, And and leprosy was a death sentence. Uh, Leprosy was uh, something that, that banished you from community. And this is banishment from community in a day and age where you didn't have social media, right? Like you couldn't zoom in to service. Uh, there, there was no technology. There was no access. And so the only people you could have community with were other lepers. Uh, so this was it was a death sentence. It was a painful disease, a, a disease that that we know now in modern uh, science that that modern leprosy is a disease that actually eats away the nerve endings in your skin and so it doesn't actually cause body parts to fall off uh but what happens is it it causes you to lose sensation in your fingers and your toes in your body parts and what would happen in these leper colonies is they were dirty they were nobody could clean um, and rats would come and actually eat the dead skin and that's why there was the association that your your body parts fell off your body parts didn't actually fall off they'd get eaten off a uh, very miserable disease probably probably the worst thing you could be stricken with like if you think you think of like the connotation of aids in our generation that was leprosy back then although i think leprosy is probably even worse than having aids right now um so this commander this general this great man this powerful man this man that god had even given victory to has now been stricken with leprosy verse two it says now bands of raiders from Aram had gone out and had taken captive a young girl from Israel. So again, Aram, not a good place. Not a godly place. Not a place doing things God's way. They had taken this girl captive. They they'd made her a slave. And she served Naaman's wife. So Naaman is a slaveholder. He's a slave owner. He's not a good dude. Verse 3, she said to her mistress, If only my master would see the prophet who was in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy this young girl is the hero of this story outside of god taken advantage of misused enslaved and still has a heart of hospitality and generosity to the ones who are hurting her man what if we could have that kind of heart for our enemies for the people who've hurt us for the people who've taken advantage of us what a beautiful beautiful example of Christ-like love, she says, there's somebody where I'm from, where I should be back right now, that you took me from. I oh, don't know, she wasn't passive-aggressive. I'd have been passive-aggressive. Uh, but she said, I know somebody who can cure this. I know somebody that God uses. I know somebody who has the power of God. He's made room for God in his life, and God can cure you through him. That's some good news. How many of us? have good news about a God who can set people free, about a God who can cure people, and we keep it to ourselves. She spoke out the good news of what she knew. Praise God, praise God, somebody told you the good news. Praise God, somebody told me the good news. Praise God, somebody loved us enough to speak out and say, I know somebody. I can't fix you, and I can't save you, and I can't put you back together, but I know somebody who can. Verse 4, Naaman went to his master and told him what the girl from Israel had said. So he says, hey, king, through whatever messengers or whatever social distancing he had to do, he communicated, hey, there's a chance I can get my job back. There's a chance I can get my position in society back. And the king loved him. The king had favor on him. The king had won great victories because of him. So he wanted this to happen. Verse 5, the king says, by all means, go. Go. The king of Aaron replied, I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left, taking with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 sets of clothing. So they're not just showing up empty-handed. They're showing up with, with some bribery, uh, with, with an offering, with a gift, right? Like, uh, by the way, you, you can't give an offering for God to heal you. Uh, I believe we should give offerings. I believe we should tithe, but we can't buy God's provision, we we can't buy God's blessing. Don't don't try to do that. That's not the way that it works. Um, he's he's not bribed and he is not bought. But this is what they're going to try to do for the, through the king. Verse six. The letter that he took to the king of Israel read, "With this letter, I'm sending my servant. Name it to you, that so that you may cure him of his leprosy." So remember, the servant girl said, "Hey, there's there's a prophet in Samaria." Samaria was the capital of Israel, the northern kingdom at this time. At this point, there's a northern kingdom Israel and a southern kingdom Judah. Samaria is the capital. You're probably familiar with the idea of Samaria because it's Becomes the region that we know of as Samaria, where the, where the Samaritans lived, right? But at this point in time, this is hundreds of years before that, at this point in time, it's the capital of the northern kingdom of Israel. So the king just assumes, hey, well, it must be the king who has this supernatural power. It must be the important person. So we're going to send the letter to him. Verse seven As soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robes and said, Am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of his leprosy? See how he's trying to pick a quarrel with me. The king of Israel is paranoid, okay? Uh, he, he thinks that the king of Aram is trying to find a reason to, to be mad at him, to attack him. Well, I asked you for some help, and you didn't provide this help, but that's not what's happening at all. How often do we just misassume the intentions in the heart of somebody else? How often do we get offended over something we don't even need to be offended about? Uh, I, I do like the question, though, am I God? Because uh, that, that is legit, right? Like, he's like, I can't do this. Uh, so he recognized that. He didn't just think, oh, yeah, I'm King Israel. I'm going to cure this guy. Uh, he, he understood his limitations. It's good to understand our limitations. Uh, verse 8, when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent him this message. Why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me, and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. Chances are the servant girl didn't know Elisha's name. She was young when she was kidnapped, when she was taken away, but she knew she had heard stories. There is a prophet. There is a man that God uses, and so she says, hey, we know that I know there's somebody there that God can use in your life. Verse 9, so Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. So we have this grand procession sent from the king of Aram, the most important or second most important person in the kingdom, and they show up at this humble prophet's house, probably a small home, probably not very fancy or spectacular. He shows up at the door. Verse 10, Elisha doesn't even go out to meet him. I, lo- I love Elisha. Elisha ain't got no time for nobody. right? He, he is that meme. Ain't nobody got time for that. That's Elisha. He ain't messing with anybody. Uh, he sends a messenger to him. Doesn't even come to him himself. Uh, in his little bitty house. not like he's so far back in the house. It's 15 rooms, and he can't make it out there. Uh, it's probably like literally a one-room home. Sends his messenger outside. He's like, you go talk to him. Uh says, go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored, and you will be cleansed. First thing I want you to write down if you're taking notes today, and I hope you're taking notes today, is this, is that God loves you no matter your past. isn't a good dude this isn't a good a a man who has earned god's favor he's literally a slave owner not only that he's the leader of an army that is the rival to god's people that has clashed with god's people there are a million reasons why god could say no legitimately and by the way sometimes god does say no legitimately but god chose to look at this man and say yes why because despite his wickedness despite his sinfulness This man was created in the image of God. This was someone that God loved. This was someone God made. This was someone God had a plan for his life. And so often we write off what God could do in our life because we know all the reasons why we've disqualified ourselves. But I need you to know today that just because you've disqualified yourself doesn't mean God's disqualified you loves you no matter your past now if you continued with us in the reading plan you've already read second corinthians 6 and second corinthians the second corinthians excuse me second kings i don't even when even chronicles that you sometimes get mixed up with corinthians i don't know what i'm talking about you've already read second kings 6 and second kings 7 and if you have you've discovered that the army of aram has a whole lot of trouble in store for israel There's going to be a couple of incidents. One, uh, the king uh, starts skirmishing with Israel, but God speaks to Elisha, and Elisha warns the king every time what's about to happen. And so Israel keeps winning, and and the king thinks that somebody in his own army is leaking secrets. He thinks there's a double agent, there's a spy. He's like, who is speaking out? And they're like, nobody's speaking out. There's just a prophet in Israel who keeps telling the, the Israelite army what we're about to do. Like, he's giving away our plans, and so the king says, well, we're going to take him out. So so he sends his army to attack Elisha, to attack this singular prophet, and God sends an army uh, that they can't see that's outside the house, but Elisha says uh, and prays that, that his servant can have his eyes open the way Elisha's eyes are open, and Elisha's servant sees that, man, there's this massive army. There's more with us than against us, Right? And so God's army wins vigorously, strikes the whole Aramite army with blindness. So this dude who just had leprosy is about to get blindness. <laughs> he's about to get cured of his leprosy just to go blind, okay? Uh, so just because God did something in your past doesn't mean that God's always going to be with you in your future if you disobey, all right? So, so he's, he's not a good dude. He hasn't had a good past. He's not going to have a good future. In fact, in the chapter 6, at the end of chapter 6 and chapter 7, they seized the city of Samaria. This is the same guy, the same commander, the same king that God just blessed, that God just answered their prayer. They turn around and do stupid stuff. I need you to know this today, too. God loves you no matter your past, but he also loves you no matter your future. God saved me. Knowing every time i betray him, every time I'd commit something and not follow through, every time I'd get caught up in my own pride, in my own foolishness, he loved me and he saved me anyway. He loves me no matter my past and he loves me no matter my future. He loves you. He wants to move in your life even knowing all the foolishness you got in store. He wants to move in your life. Praise God. Verse 11. Naaman went away angry. Why would he go away angry? If you remember verse 10. God spoke through Elisha. Elisha didn't even come out to him, but God spoke through Elisha's messenger and said, hey, you just need to go dip in the Jordan River seven times, and you'll be healed. Very simple. Not not a complicated requirement. Angry. Naaman went away. Angry. He said, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, wave his hand over the spot, and cure me of my leprosy. I thought he would pull a Benny Hinn and pull off his jacket and wave it, and I would fall over in the presence of God, and I'd be healed on the spot in Jesus' name. Hallelujah, right? He thought something spectacular was going to happen. He was going to have a moment, and God said, just go take a bath. got offended by what god asked him to do you ever been offended by what god asked you to do you ever thought you were above what god asked you to do you were better than what god had for you god i want you to move but i don't want you to move like that i want you to move my way i'm gonna tell you how this needs to go god who did Naaman think he was he would come out here and stand and call in the name of the lord his god wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy instantly verse 12 he says are not urbana and far far the rivers of damascus better than all the waters of israel could not I wash in them and be cleansed you see his arrogance you see that his pridefulness by the way the jordan river was muddy it, it, it was nasty it was not known for its beauty it's still to this day not known for its beauty it was basically like the mississippi river right you get told to go dip seven times in the mississippi river you might be like. Oh, let's run that one back uh like I got a shower at the house I got my neighbor got a pool like we got options here God it ain't got to be the Mississippi uh so he's offended that he's got to go dip in the Jordan River uh, he says couldn't I wash in them in one of these waters and be cleansed so he turned and went off in a rage I love that the Bible says he went off uh he just went off uh verse 13 Naaman's servant went to him and said my father If the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more than when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? Here's what I came here to tell you today. A prideful heart makes no room for God to move. A prideful heart makes no room for God to move. If you want God to move in your life, in this new year, in this new season through this fast, through through all that we're doing. My job is to call you to make room for him, to empty some jars, to dig some ditches, to stay, take some steps, to prepare some things so that God can move. But I have to give you this warning. A prideful heart will make no room for God to move. I don't care how many jars you empty. I don't care how many ditches you dig. If there is pride in your heart, God is not going to move and cannot show up in Man's healing is promised. It is ordained, it has been provided. God has already spoken. The word has already been given. The healing is right there. He just has to humble himself enough to receive it. But there's no room for God to move because Naaman's on the throne and Naaman's heart. You need to know today that God moves in small things. Lines up completely with what Hunter said. God wasn't in the earthquake. God wasn't in the descending fire. God wasn't in the great wind. God was in the whisper. So often we miss God because we want the spectacular. We want the supernatural. We want the miraculous, but we don't want the small thing. God moves in small things god says if you will be faithful in small things i'll make you lord over much but it starts with the small things it starts with the simple thing it starts with the obvious thing it starts with the thing that's right in front of you verse 14 so naaman after his servant called him out we don't know who this servant was we don't know if this is another slave who was abducted from another kingdom or who this person was but he loved naaman enough to speak truth to him says Naaman went down and he dipped himself in the Jordan seven times as the man of God had told him and his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy you know we walk in obedience and we walk in humility many times God's going to give us more than what we asked for he didn't ask for the fountain of youth he just asked for the leprosy to be gone but God moved mightily in his life as if his skin became like that of a young boy. He restored him and then some. He took him back. That's just the goodness of the God that we serve. That's just the supernatural provision of the God we serve. But the provision wasn't in the big thing. It wasn't in the spectacular thing. It wasn't in the amazing thing. It was in the dirty Jordan River. It was really in the obedience and the humility. You see, when Jesus did healings, he oftentimes didn't just heal the body, but he dealt with the root issue. One time, he or many times, he says, your sins are forgiven. And when he says your sins are forgiven, that's when the healing comes. And they're like, why didn't you just say, be healed? And the reason is because God doesn't just care about your body. He cares about your whole being. He cares about your soul. He cares about your mind. He cares about your body, too. And so in the same way, Elisha... Hearing from God and God speaking through Elisha doesn't just deal with Naaman's leprosy. He deals with the bigger issue in Naaman. Naaman's pride. If you'll humble yourself, you'll receive the healing that you want, but you're really going to receive healing in your heart like you can't even imagine. See, humility makes room for God to move. Pride makes no room, but humility makes room. You want to see God move in your life? Practice humility. Pursue humility. Walk in humility. God has ordained for us to be people of humility. Humility makes room for God to move. Verse 15, the Naaman and all his attendants went back to the man of God. He stood before him and he said, now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. So please accept a gift from your servant. Naaman's healed. He's restored. God is God. He's even going to go say and tell him a little bit later on, I'm not going to worship any God except your God. This is the right God. I know it. He's the one true God. Verse 16, the prophet answered, as surely as the Lord lives whom I serve, I will not accept a thing. And even though Naaman urged him, he refused. Humility makes room for God to move. Elisha walked in humility. Elisha practiced humility. Elisha understood humility. This isn't my miracle. This is God's miracle. This isn't my glory. This is God's glory. This isn't for me. Man, it's, it's, it's nice for you to recognize me. It's nice for you to say thank you, but I'm, I'm not taking anything because this wasn't, this isn't mine to do. I can't conjure this up. I can't make this happen. Only God can do this. So I'm not going to take the credit or the glory for this. Very quickly over the last few moments we have together. I want to share with you five ways for you to increase humility in your life. Five ways for you to take your humility up a notch. Um, And it's going to say four ways because that's what it was originally, and I added one at the very end. So just just roll with me. It's five ways. Uh, Number one, you want more humility in your life. Start with the step he's already given. See, the reality is we live in a generation that is all about ourselves. We live in the most narcissistic generation there has ever been. We live in a generation where we can hop on our iPhone and read self-magazines to hear somebody talk about my truth. I think I said iPhone and just triggered somebody. Sorry. I uh, said something off there. What's up, iPhone? Uh, don't talk anymore. Uh, so. <laughs> We live in this generation that is all about the glorification of ourself. Man, you pursue what's in your heart. You do you, baby. Like we're we're all about encouraging self. And and the reality is God doesn't move when we celebrate self. God moves when we celebrate him. So what do we do? We got to start with the small things. Mother Teresa, not Mama Teresa, Mother Teresa put it this way, said if you want to change the world, go home and love your family. What's the small step that God's given you? See, so many times we're waiting on this big calling. Man, I, I got, God got something great from my life, and I believe that He does. But in waiting for the great thing to be revealed, be faithful to the small step that He's given you. What are some small steps, man? Get in the Word. Spend some time in prayer. Those aren't glamorous, they're not spectacular. Man, yesterday at church prayer, we got to talk to Brenda's mama. She came. That woman's an intercessor. Let me tell you how much of an intercessor she is. Her and 16 of her friends made a commitment over 300 days ago to do a midnight cry. Every night at midnight, they wake up and they go before God and they intercede. Every night. I don't know what God's doing through that, but I guarantee you it's big. I guarantee you, he's moving in people's lives. I guarantee you there's something happening. Why? Because nobody sees that. It's not broadcast anywhere. Nobody's celebrating that. Nobody's hashtagging that. There's no glory in intercession except the glory of God. You want God to move? Be faithful to the small step he's given you. Go home and love your family. Man, start with the, the thing he said before you. Lay your life down for, for the ones that you love. Begin right where you're at. What is the small step he's giving you? Namaste said, no, I'm too good for the small step. Give me the big step. Give me the hard thing. I'll do the hard thing, but I'm too good to do the small thing. And we look at that, and we think it's ridiculous. But how often do we do the same thing? We're just waiting for God to give us this big thing. And God's saying, I'm giving you 14 small steps. Just take start with one of them. Just do one of them, just just give, just worship, just just serve, just get plugged in, just be faithful where you're at, and I'll increase you, I'll give you more, but you got to make some room for it. Start with a small step he's already given you. Secondly, if you want to practice humility and li- live a life of humility, lean in to disciplines of less. Again, we have this culture that revolves around self, this commuteristic, consumeristic culture where we always need more. We always need this. We always need that. And and there are biblical disciplines that God has given us to help us practice less. And we don't like those disciplines, disciplines like giving, like tithing, disciplines like Sabbath, like rest. We always want more, more, more. And many times God's saying, I've got more for you in the less." where the more is gonna come so we gotta learn to practice humility we don't always need the biggest and the best and the newest we don't always need the the extra side hustle and the extra income i'm not saying there's never a time for that i'm not saying there's not a time you got bills to pay i'm i'm, I'm not telling you not to get your bills paid i'm just saying sometimes we get greedy and we just want more 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 and so much of scripture is about teaching us to be content with less Nobody came to church today hoping to hear about god's got less for you right No, nobody's standing on that promise in god's word god's got less for me hallelujah how about less stress how about less anxiety how about less frustration how about less discouragement how about less restlessness Right? I believe that God has less for you today, and if you'll take advantage of the disciplines of less that he's given you, he's going to bless you with less of all the stuff you don't want, all the stuff you don't need. He's going to start taking it from you, but he's already laid it out. It's not found in a prayer. It's not found in, found in standing on a promise. It's found in obedience to the stuff that God's already asked us to do. the baptist puts it this way he says jesus must become greater and i must become less in a culture that exalts self in a culture that says look at me in a culture that wants to put me in the spotlight and on the throne that is subversive it is counterculture it is counterintuitive it doesn't make sense to choose to be less but my heart's cry is that jesus would be greater and i would be less the disciplines of less number three if you want to walk in humility and I need you to help me teach this one tell this to somebody next to you get some help just tell somebody get some help tell your second choice you tell your second choice you need help (laughs) mom passed away yesterday at 72 years old for my entire life I believe she dealt with mental illness for my entire life she refused to get help didn't want to go see somebody didn't want to talk to somebody didn't want to deal with with the hurt and the pain and the stuff that she'd been through. And she'd been through some real stuff. She was molested at four years old to six years old. She went through mental and emotional abuse in her home. She suffered a lot. Her pain was legitimate and it was real. But she was unwilling or unable to get help. And I don't say that to dishonor my mom. My mom's well today. She found help and she's fully restored. Had joy while she was here I wish she could have had freedom while she was here I wish I could have known that person who's free of all that today <laughs> I wish my kids could have known grandma who was free of all that I cannot encourage you enough get help You are not designed to do life alone. Our culture, our technology is driving bigger and bigger wedges between us. It makes us buy into this illusion of self-sufficiency that we don't need nobody. that we can do this on our own. And it's a lie. It's a lie. You can't. You're not designed to. God made you for community. God made you for accountability. God made you to need to lean on others. There's a lie in Christianity that says all you need is Jesus. And that may sound blasphemous to say that's not all you need. But that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches you need Jesus and you need his church. You need the body of Christ. You just do. You just do. I do. I am so grateful for people praying for me right now. I am so grateful for all your encouragements, for all the ways you've reached out, the texts, the calls, the messages, for every way you've been there for me in this season. I am so thankful that I am not in isolation and I'm not separated, that I've got people around me because I need help. Shared this story before, but my sophomore year at Bible college, my little brother attempted suicide for the first time, and the enemy just made me his punching bag. <laughs> Made me all the reasons why, the ways I'd put him down, and the names I'd called him, and all the stuff that a stupid, sinful older brother does to his innocent younger brother. Why I was the reason why Nick didn't want. got really low and really dark. And finally, after weeks, four guys who loved me and cared about me sat me down and like, dude, what's wrong? Because I hadn't talked to anybody. I hadn't told anybody. I thought I could carry it on my own and deal with it on my own. And they forced it out of me. And those four dudes, I'll never forget, <laughs> they laid hands on me. <laughs> our door room and they prayed for me and God broke something off of me in that prayer in that moment but it would not have happened had I not had community that was around me that loved me enough to confront me and say what's really going on so I could speak up and I could get the help that I needed we're not supposed to do it on our own we're just not You need people around you. There's no shame in counseling. There's no shame in medication. I don't think the goal is not to be on that stuff for the rest of our lives. The goal is to have it to help us to get out of the rut, to get out of the ditch, to get back to the place where we need to be so we can begin to run again. But we got to break off that stigma in the church that I'm too good for this, that all I need is Jesus. Yes, you need Jesus, but you need obedience to what Jesus has said, and Jesus says you need people. You don't have to do it on your own. You don't have to suffer in silence. You're not called to. There is freedom. There is healing. But James says that we come to, we confess our sins one to another that we may be healed. I confess my sins to God that I may be forgiven, but I speak them out to others that I might be healed. And so if you're dealing with the secret, if you're dealing with sin, you can confess it to God all day long, but the freedom's not found there. The freedom from from, from sin is found there, but the healing from sin is found in telling somebody else. Do it on your own. Praise God, you're not supposed to. Praise God, you don't have to. How else do we practice humility? Number four, by repenting quickly and fully. I don't have time to unpack this very much. Hopefully, this will kind of stand for itself, but we need to be people of repentance, both to God and to others. When we repent, what do we do? We we humble ourselves. We lower ourselves. Like, I, I messed up. I blew it. And, and we're so bad at apologizing, man. We, we, we start to apologize and we say we're sorry. And then we explain all the reasons why it happened. And it turns into a justification. And by the time we're done sorry, saying we're sorry, they're like, are they even sorry? You, you, you don't have to give all your reasons and all your explanations for your brokenness and your failures. I, I blew that and I own it. And I know it hurts you. I know know it caused suffering in our relationship. Will you forgive me? There is so much power in that. Both person-to-person in horizontal relationship as well as to God in our vertical relationship. Man, just practice repentance. Make repentance normal in your life. Repent quickly, repent fully. Number five, last thing I'll close with here, don't touch the glory. Don't touch the glory. What did Elisha do? Naaman came to him and offered him gifts, offered him money, probably a life-changing gift for a man in Elisha's place. And the Bible teaches us that, man, we're, it's okay for, for full-time ministers to be paid and to be taken care of and for them to be blessed. But Elisha knew this was not a blessing. This was saying, This was saying, you healed me. And Elisha, if he accepted the gift, he was acknowledging that he was the one who was the administrator of the healing. And he couldn't touch the gift because he couldn't touch the glory. And so often, if we get used by God, if we have a gift, if we have an ability, if we're not careful, even as we use that thing for God's glory, the enemy's so good at turning it and perverting it to where we start taking a little bit of that glory that was meant for God. Man, I brought it today. Man, I was, I was on a man, man, that sounded really good. You, you encourage somebody at work, and you're like, wow, I, I didn't know I could talk that good, right? You, you pray for somebody, you're like, man, I, I didn't know I could pray that good, right? And, and all of a sudden, this thing that's designed for him to be honored, we start to allow our ego to creep into it just little by little. Just just a, just, a touch, we still got God most of the credit. We still point most of him to him, but we hold on to a little bit of it. And Elisha says, no, I'm not touching it. There's one place and one place only that the glory can go, and it's not to me. It's got to go to him. And it's got to be a daily thing. Because the reality is the default human nature mode is I just creep right back up on that throne. Just put myself back there. And we all do it. And so day after day, we got to practice humility. We got to choose humility. Jesus puts it this way in Luke 14. He says, for all those who exalt themselves will be humbled. God, those who humble themselves will be exalted. I want to be exalted. What does that mean? It means lifted up. I need God to lift me up right now. I don't know about you. I don't know who needs some lifting in your life. I don't know who needs God to show up in your life, but I need some lifting. I need some exalting in my life, not exalting of myself, not exalting of my flesh, but I need God to start lifting some stuff. And he says the way to that, the pattern to that, the path for me to receive that lifting is for me to get lower. 2 Chronicles 7.14, my last verse, says this very famously. It says, if my people who are called by the name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will hear their land. What a promise that God will heal our land, that he'll forgive us, that he'll move mightily in our life. So often we just skip right past the first part of this process. Usually we get to the pray and seek my face part. We use this for, man, we got to seek God's face. We got to pray. We got to turn from our wicked ways. Praise God. We got to do those things. Yes, that's there. But the first thing on the list is humble yourself. Why? Because God opposes the proud, but he gives favor and grace to the humble it starts with humility you want to make room for god to move in 2023 walk in humility you've never walked in before get yourself off the throne in some areas you've never gotten off the throne in before start humbling yourself start choosing to walk in that and the enemy's so good he's even gonna try to make you prideful about how humble you are right you gotta watch out for that like he'll just twist it and corrupt it and pervert it moses even wrote down that moses was the most humble man on earth i'm like come on moses what you thinking man right like that's just the way the enemy works so be ready for that but choose humility embrace it and you will make room for god to move would you stand and pray with me church